All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran Studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or go to lawfran.com. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Welcome back to the Garage Built Podcast. Uh, it's been a minute, right? Uh, I realized this the other day. I've just been so busy this year. 2021 has been a doozy right out of the gate. Uh, we decided, myself, Chris, and Heather Callen from Source Media, and uh, my new business partner, John O'Brien from Hardcore Cycles in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, my business partner in Torque mag usa which is a performance twin think tank media center uh content creation lab whatever you want to call it um we cranked this thing up this year and it has been a ton of work but a ton of fun and i realized that the garage built podcast is what was suffering the most so i thought it was time to come back sit down with you guys and talk a little bit about some changes that are going to go on so my goal is to get it to be more frequent and uh, give you guys more content. So I'll get into that during the episode. Right now, I want to thank the Arlen Ness Motorcycle Company for all that they do for us. Go to their website, arlenness.com, and get yourself some new mirrors or grips or check out some of their new colorways. 1620 USA, quality workwear made in the USA. The High Seas Rally. Go to highseasrally.com. The 2021 cruise was postponed but 2022 is going to be even bigger because they are supplying the drinks for everybody want to thank electric lighting for always being there for us since day one and lex and moto i've got a lot of things to talk about in this episode so it's about time to open the garage fire the engine up and get this thing out onto the street it's the Garageville Podcast. Glad you're here with us. You're listening to the Garageville Podcast with your host, Jason Holman. Welcome back to the Garageville Podcast. All right, so it's been a minute, right? We've got 61 episodes in the tank, 61 or 62, not really sure right now. It doesn't really matter. Um, my goal is to produce 50 a year going forward, uh, and uh, we're not hitting that mark. And I realized very, very recently that uh, I've got myself spread a little bit thin, so I needed to start getting up a little bit earlier get my dog walked around the neighborhood, get my day in order, go back to using my lists. And I started thinking about what was the purpose of the podcast? And when I started this podcast in 2011, 2012, end of 2011, I really started getting things in line to do this. I wanted to find out what was going on in the industry. The internet was still strong, but things like Facebook and Instagram were still not connecting people the way that things have been connected earlier in that decade. And early on in the early 2000s, uh, Jesse James from West Coast Choppers started a website, just as many people did. And on his website, there was a little section called Chopper Dogs. And that Chopper Dogs, you could sign up and you were given a number and uh, you were kind of part of a, a little crew of people that had access to a forum. And there's been lots of forums out there. There used to be the old Network 54 forums. There was the Horse Backstreet Choppers had one. Uh, there was a huge one that's still on the internet that people really, I don't know if people even go there for anything other than archiving information or finding information that was archived called Club Chopper. 
And then there was Chop Cult, and uh, there was there were several different places. The the Jockey Journal. Um, there was the the Ham the honky ass message board. There was all these communities and each one of these websites had a community that, that orbited around a certain group of people. And based on the level of contribution and, and how active you were on the board and um, you, there were they're, they're like a community, a community pecking order kind of organically grew up um, on the chopper dogs. That was the one that I was most active on. You paid, I think it was $20. Um, the, it was twenty dollars a month, and uh, it was something that was, you know, um, at at first it, it seemed like a lot of money back then. I can remember thinking twenty dollars a month to belong to a website that just doesn't make any sense to me. And then I had a friend named Evan. He was my business partner, and he said, uh, "Here, just use my login, right? And you can just lurk. Just don't post anything." And I quickly found out that there were social constructs. There were rules. And in any group of individuals that get together on a regular basis, there are social constructs. And these things would be, you know, how they treat their ladies, um, how they uh, how they support each other in public, how they support each other in private, how they, you know, kind of move about in a, in a group. And, and it organically grew. And every different message board had its own group of... Uh, people that were authoritative to a degree. Um, you know, they, this guy was the authority on this type of thing. This guy was the authority on that type of thing. And on chopper dogs, um, it was a life changing experience for me. A lot of people hear me talk a lot about chopper dogs in my time there, but I can honestly tell you that some of the greatest human beings that I've ever met and I'm still friends with, uh, came to me through knowing them through the chopper dog site. And so once a year, Jesse James would have a party called the NLP, the no love party. And early on, I think 2000, 2001, um, he would have a, an open, an open party and everybody in the long beach area would show up and he'd have thousands of people there literally. And towards the end, I think it was Oh four Oh five of having the public no love parties. It got so bad that there were federal snipers on the roof um, there were federal agents undercover. Uh, they were, you know, looking at and, and following and cataloging and recording um, certain club members that would come there. And it got to be um, a liability for the city of Long Beach. It got to be a liability, I'm sure, for Jesse and West Coast Choppers. And so he made it private. And then the value of being a chopper dog went up exponentially because with that $20, you got your entry paid into the no love party. Now you had to, you had to get yourself there and you had to handle accommodations, but West coast choppers even went as far as to, um, set a block of rooms aside at the long beach guest house. And it was, it was really kind of a, it was a family environment. Um, in 2007, that was the first time I actually went to the no love party. I had gone to West coast choppers with my, uh, my wife, my daughters, and my parents. Um, real quick story, uh, 2007, um, my dad was diagnosed uh, the first time uh, with some some unfortunate circumstances that had happened, uh, we believe, when he was uh, in the military. It caused some, some, some disease. Uh, the treatment did not have a 100% guarantee that it was going to come out the other end. So my wife and I decided, look, let's go take a couple weeks Let's take my parents to California before my dad starts his treatment and we'll spend some time. So we booked hotels up and down the coast. My daughter actually and my wife, my oldest daughter, my wife went and ended up going to the Nickelodeon Teen Choice Awards with some VIP stuff. It was really cool. They got to meet lots of celebrities. They met Bruce Willis. They met Forrest Whitaker. It was kind of a, it was, it was really neat for, for my daughter and my wife. And I went to every single bike shop I could find in the, up and down the West Coast because we started our journey in the LA area. And we went all the way, we rented a van and went all the way up to uh, San Francisco, Monterey. We met Big Wayne at California Choppers. We met um, Rudy and uh, his wife at uh, Rudy Villanueva and his wife at 415 Clothing and 415 Tattoo. I believe it's called Frisco Tattoo now. Um, but anyway, so it was just, we went to, we went to California and once I went to West coast choppers, uh, I knew that I had to join, uh, the chopper dog. So I did, 
I started meeting all these people. And even today, I have still have people that I'm very close with. My best friends, Cody Childress in Abilene, Texas, came to me through Chopper Dogs. Uh, TikTok lives in England. Um, and I met him through Chopper Dogs. So the reason why I'm telling you all this stuff is because there's certain things that happen in your life that are life-changing. And this was one of them for me. Joining Chopper Dogs changed the way I looked at everything, right? And then Facebook happens, then Instagram happens, and all of a sudden, all of these message boards kind of become um, less effective, more clunky, uh, more difficult to, to, to manage. They, they, they tried creating apps for phones that would allow you to, to navigate through the message boards, but it didn't work the same. The conduit was was still the internet, but it didn't work the same as it did when you sat down at a PC or a laptop. And many of us in the Chopper Dogs, we would just spend hours upon hours upon hours upon hours every day communicating with each other back and forth and talking about everything from our kids to our jobs to motorcycles to tech to, you know, some people were strong fabricators. Some people were strong, you know, there was guys on there that are, uh, that are seat makers and all these different things would, would go on. And, uh, it was, it was really, really life-changing. And when that went away, that was life-changing too. And so we kind of lost the conduit to all of these people that are in our lives. And then podcasting happened. And once the podcasting thing took off, this was a way for me to communicate with people in my industry, using my industry contacts, and kind of view them in an intimate way from a distance, right? So we we did 10 episodes, I believe, the first season of the Garage Bell podcast. And I interviewed people like Roadside Marty. I interviewed people like Jeff Cochran, Eric Gorgeous, Fabricator Kevin. These are all people that I either looked up to or were in my inner circle, and they all had a story to tell, and it wasn't getting told. And you know, this is post discovery channel biker build off days. And some of my friends were involved in some of that stuff. And so the podcasting thing was something that I did really to entertain myself, entertain my friends. And I realized very early on that it was not a medium that people communicated well with. They didn't resonate with them right away. I can remember talking to several of the guests and having to explain to them, and these are people that were friends of mine, I had to explain to them not only what we were going to discuss, how the format was going to work, but they didn't even understand why anybody would want to listen to a conversation between two people that already knew each other. And the reason was quite simple. Um, when you have a long form conversation, uh, like the one that you and I are having right now, uh, even though this is a one-sided conversation right now, I'm orating and I'm pontificating and I'm telling you about something that I feel like, whether you want to hear it or not, uh, I feel like you need to know it. I need to put it out there. I need to free up some space in the hard drive in between my ears. And this is the best way for me to do that, especially since this is a one-way conversation. It's very tough for anyone to interrupt me right now. Uh, I can turn my phone off. I can walk away. I can close myself into my office and, and do what I would consider a shallow dive where I go into my office, I close the door, I turn the recording sign on, and I just work some things out. And so it became abundantly clear to me earlier in the week that I had not been serving the people that supported me on the podcast. And so I started thinking about a format change. And so what you're hearing right now is the result of that decision to make a format change. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm not going to have guests. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to talk about uh, important things. In fact, I think we're going to have an opportunity to talk about very important things. And this also is not me standing on a pulpit and pontificating to you for an hour or an hour and a half or a half hour or 20 minutes or however long a podcast can last. Right now, I'm doing this podcast first and foremost to see, number one, can I talk without having the ebb and flow of a natural conversation with somebody where I'm sitting either on the phone, on a Zoom call, or face-to-face -face with another human being that I want to talk to. And so if you think back to what a format change would be, think back to a radio station that meant something to you when you were younger. A radio station that was a 
uh, a staple in the community because 30 years ago, before the internet, before the internet, you know, proliferated through everything that we do, which it does, um, there was only really four ways to get information. One of them would have been uh, from the television. You know, I can remember the way things went on a daily basis. My dad would get home from work. We would have dinner. We would always have dinner. It would be done prior to uh, the evening news coming on. And once the evening news came on, my dad, my mom, they both sat at opposite ends of the couch. They watched the television. They listened to what either Dan Rather or um, Sam Donaldson or Connie Chung or any number of talking heads, you'll call them, uh, reporters would would tell about the day. World, There would be, you know, the evening news, the local evening news started at 6. At 6.30, the world news report would come on. At 7 o'clock, you'd have some um, other pre-planned show that things would segue into or there would be a game show and then at eight o'clock prime time would start and you'd have your half hour sitcoms and your one hour programming and all these things happen so that was one way to get stuff was from the tv another way to get information was to read the paper now some people i call these people old people still read the newspaper on a daily basis or a weekly basis but newspapers aren't around like they used to be either and we've also seen lately through the modernization of information that there's a bias, right? If you're a left-leaning individual, you read certain newspapers. If you're a right-leaning individual, you read certain newspapers. The same thing happens with websites and, and, and news, news stations. Everybody knows that Fox leans right, CBS and ABC and NBC lean left, right? Or CNN leans left. So... There was the, the television. There was the newspaper. The third way was the radio, right? The radio was very important. Everybody remembers driving in a car with your grandparents or your great-grandparents if you were fortunate enough to have them. And they would be listening to, uh, you know, WWJ 950 AM. And they would have a set format. The top of the hour, they'd have new news. Then they would have weather. Then they would talk about a current event. Then they would have news at the bottom of the hour. Then they would have weather. Then they would talk about a current event. And then at the top of the hour, again, it was just this news cycle, this constant news cycle. But for guys like me that were into rock and roll and went to school to be a disc jockey on the radio, there was a radio station that you kind of attached your, yourself to, your station in your car. If you're old enough to remember having uh, a, a mechanical stereo in your car that had the bu the buttons that you pulled out to set the station, you had a station that you listened to. You went to their summer jam concert. You put their sticker on your bumper sticker. You went to their live remotes so that you could participate and see the local bands that were in the same genre as what they were. And that radio station for me was a radio station called CIMX or 89X, which was a stereo station that was based in Windsor, Ontario, and broadcasted over Ontario, Canada, and Detroit. And it was called 89X, CIMX, Windsor, Detroit's New Rock Alternative. Now, if you think back to when I was in high school, I graduated in 1991. In 1991, there was some pretty big things happening in music. Guns N' Roses was getting ready to release their Use Your Illusion. Motley Crue had released their Decade of Decadence, the 1991 from 81 to 91, which was really kind of a, uh, a greatest hits, if you will, with a couple of cover tunes thrown in there because that band was, was really kind of falling apart and stuff. And I tell you this stuff because I want you to visualize what things were like in the 80s, right? You know, it was a lot of color, a lot of, you know, a lot of spandex, a lot of, you know, there was a lot of great music. You know, you had Dokken and you had, you know, uh, Motley Crue, you had uh, Guns N' Roses, you had Warrant, you had Poison, you had all these, these hair metal bands, right? These glam metal bands. And then around 91, something changes, right? And there was a, what you would call a change of format. There was a change of scenery. There were a couple of bands that came out. Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Temple of the Dog, 
Uh, prior to that, some would argue that um, there were a couple of bands that were kind of precursors to the alternative alternative movement movement that kind of opened the door down, that kind of bridged the gap, that segued from metal in or hair metal into um, the 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 mainstream of what uh, the the alternative music scene would have been, right? Uh, the Black Album came out around this time, you know, so now Metallica is mainstream. So lots of things happened. So there was new radio stations popping up all over the place. In 1989, 1990, 91, classic rock was considered anything that was like 20 years old or newer, or older rather. So you had Led Zeppelin, Procol Harum, Pink Floyd, The Who, Jay Giles, um, some of these bands that maybe some of you have never even heard of or, or never, you know, if people talk about Jay Giles, they know Centerfold, Freeze Frame, that's really all they know. But you go back 10 years prior to that, and you've got Hard Driving Man, you've got, uh, you know, um, all these great albums that, that have, did for one reason or another, seem to have disappeared into the ethos of time. And so the format change, change came around, and CIMX came out, and 89X drove the world on alternative music, right? Well, that was 1990, 91, right around there. Here we are 30 years later, and 89X is no more. CIMX, Windsor, Detroit's new rock alternative is now a country station. And it really, really bummed me out. And I started thinking about, damn, you know, I really wanted to work at 89X. I went to Spex Howard School of Broadcast Arts uh, when I graduated from high school. Um, there was only a couple things I took away from high school. The only thing I got out of high school really uh, was the fuck out of there. It was not, I was not a good student. I was not a studious person. I was intelligent. I was smart. I was told that my whole life. I was one of those kids that was told, listen, you're too smart to get these kind of grades. You're too smart to not be achieving. You're too smart to not consider college. You're too smart for all of these things. And I just didn't want to sit in a classroom for another godforsaken minute. It, I was not equipped for that. Uh, my mind races all the time. I'm always thinking about the next project. I'm always thinking about the next thing I can do. Truth be told, when I'm building a motorcycle or I'm building a drag car or I'm building anything, if I'm doing right now, I'm redoing the shower in my house. It's the process that I enjoy. It's not the final product. The final product I'm very proud of. The final product, I'm, I have to get to that point so that you have some some conclusion in your life. But the project that I'm working on right now that is the most endearing to me and the most, uh, it's capturing the most amount of my energy is Torque Performance Television and the magazine Torque Mag USA. Our first issue is going to be released in Sturgis and I've never produced a magazine before. Uh, it sounded, when I thought of the idea, it sounded like it would be pretty easy, right? You call up a bunch of uh, companies in the industry and you say, hey, listen, great news. You know all those magazines that went away? Well, people still want magazines. I know I want a magazine. I'm a hat in hand kind of guy. And I like the process. I like sitting down. I like reading from front cover to back cover. And then I go back through and I pick out the things that really stuck out to me. And then when I'm done with the magazine, I put it in a little cardboard box vertically and I put issue one right in front of issue two issue three, right behind issue two, four, five, six, and it goes on and on. I still have all of my hot rod magazines, all of my muscle Mustangs and fast forwards, all of my super Fords, uh, going all the way back to like 1989 when I got my driver's license. I have all of those things. The only thing I do not still have in my possession are all my BMX magazines, which I would kill for, but I lost those in a fire. Uh, we had a house fire in 2000. And just due to space requirements and, and having enough clutter in my life at that point in time, I didn't see the value in it. And I regretfully took the entire box with my factory RevCore um, uniform that was made and, and sent to me and my factory co-factory ozone shirt and all my all my bits and bobs and, and all the little pieces I have uh, were discarded after the fire and I don't have those anymore. But things are important to me. Um, I'm not necessarily only driven by material things, but I like to acquire things and I like the process of acquiring things. And I realized the other day that this podcast is suffering. 
And something prof- very profound happened to me when I went to Utah for the Bagger Racing League's Battle of the Baggers. You know, I get to travel. I'm fortunate enough I get to travel in this job to a lot of different places. And I'm also fortunate because I get to travel as often as I do, I have the benefit of having friends that don't live in my backyard. Now, that can be a good thing and that can be a bad thing. If you have two best friends that one lives in Abilene, Texas, and the other one lives in Broughton, Saltburn, Middlesbrough, United Kingdom, uh, you don't get to spend as much face time breaking bread, giving hugs, throwing back some cold ones, watching a football match, whether it be American football or European football. Those things don't happen. So it ends up being a quality over quantity situation. And I want you to think about that for a second. Now, I'm not trying to be some help, self-help guru. I don't know the answer to everything. Here's what I know the answer to. I know the answer to everything that's happened in my life up to this point. And if I'm going to make any substantive change, I have to use those tools and those God-given opportunities to help share them with other people. That's the only way that I can operate and move forward. And so one of the things that happened very early on with, with Torque was I was invited by the Bagger Racing League to kind of get an inside look, peel back the curtain in the Wizard of Oz and be the first to do it. And, and that's something that I haven't really even thought about until I just said it just now. I mean, I knew that early on we got contacted, but it told me that what we're doing with Torque is important. If it's not important to you, it's important to somebody. Um, we are providing a lens into something that is brand new. And so when something's brand new, when a child is a brand new child, when they're growing up and they first pull themselves up, they have the, the ability to pull themselves up with using the coffee table, their legs are wobbly. They're not ready to walk yet, but they're ready to stand. But if you look at that child when they do that the first time, the one thing that you'll notice is they're very, very excited about it because they understand already, even at that young age, they understand that what they're doing is something special. If not for everybody else, it's certainly special for them. But when they look at their parent and their parent is smiling too and clapping their hands and and being happy for them, that emotion transfers into that child and that child realizes that their first experience of standing up is not only an amazing thing for them, but it's an amazing thing for the people who care about them. And that's what happened with Torque Mag USA. And that's what happened with Torque Performance Television. When we pulled ourselves up by the coffee table, it made us very happy. When John O'Brien and Chris Callen and Heather Callen and myself released episode one of Torque Performance Television 12 weeks ago, it made us very happy very happy. Even though it probably, if I went back and watched the episode now, it would come off as very, very clunky, very, very, um, uh, not necessarily well done. Right. But we got it out of the starting blocks. We made it happen. And so those types of things are profound and because of the work that we're doing, we got invited to go to the next party. And that happens sometimes in life, right? You prove yourself in a small, equitable situation and you do what you're supposed to do and you govern yourself according to social constructs like we talked about. We got invited to go to Saddleman. And here is the serendipitous part of all of this. Saddleman has a brand new R&D facility in Long Beach, California. Now, follow me here. Earlier, I talked about in 2007, I went somewhere on vacation that changed my life. I went to California and got to go to West Coast Choppers. Now, West Coast Choppers back then was a little less of a circus than it was during the Discovery Channel days, but it was very, very, very uh, still 
a, an overwhelming situation to see all of that, right? You see all these bikes that you saw in magazines or all these bikes that you saw on the internet. You got to go into the little room where they sold clothing where it said no cameras allowed. And the bike said, um, don't, don't sit on the bike's asshole and, and things like that. Well, that West Coast Choppers building was at 718 West Anaheim Road in Long Beach, California. Well, so I get an invitation to go to Saddleman's new R&D facility that's located at 718 West Anaheim Avenue in Long Beach, California. It was very amazing to go there because when I went there in 2007, it was a hustle and bustle of activity. They were building bikes in the back and building pipes in the back and building engines in the back. And there was a polishing crew and there was all these things that happened, right? There's all these pieces and parts that you kind of peer through the gate at the door and, you know, no one pays attention to you. No one asks you if you need anything. They were so tired of everybody coming in and milling around and being there. And to be honest with you, um, the people who worked at West Coast Shoppers did not appreciate the chopper dogs, even though there were a few hundred of us that paid $20 a month. If you do the math on that, there was a substantive amount of money that was put into that machine that Jesse claimed paid for the health insurance for all of the Long Beach employees. But here I am so many years later, over 10 years later, 14 years later now from 2007 to 2021. And I'm back inside this facility that's now owned by Saddleman. And basically they open up every door and they say, Hey, have a look around. You're here. Take some pictures. You've got your camera, do some interviews, make sure you talk to everybody in the room. And I use that opportunity to try to build content and, uh, try to build relationships for torque mag USA and torque performance television. And I got to talk to Danny Wilson and Luke Leatherman. Danny Wilson, of course, is from leading edge performance in Phoenix. Luke Leatherman is the CEO and owner of fueling corporation. I got to talk to Jake Johnson, who's the driver for alloy art. I got to talk to Nick Trask, who's the owner of Trask performance. All of these things happened. It was very overwhelming. It was a great day. It was a great day. And I was super, super happy to have that opportunity. And all that came because of my interest in doing a podcast and my interest in West Coast Choppers. And so because of that invitation and because we went there and did what we were asked to do and provided content and made substantive relationships start and made friendships and hung out and I got, you know, got to meet all these different people. The next move was to go to the Utah Motorsports Complex and cover the inaugural Battle of the Baggers sponsored by Drag Specialties put on by the Bagger Racing League. And something happened there. Something profound happened there. And I forget sometimes that I'm being listened to by people who aren't in my zip code, who aren't in my state, who don't come into the motorcycle shop that my daughter and I run on a daily basis. And I was approached by somebody and he came up and he says, Hey, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to be that guy, but I have to tell you that I appreciate your podcast. I listen to it all the time. I've listened to every episode. And so I started thinking about like what that meant. And it meant I need that person to know that that meant more to me that what I do means something to somebody than, than what it is for them, right? I wanted him to know that, yes, he, he was telling me that it was important that I did that so he had something to listen to when he was driving to work or so that he had something to listen to when he really needed to concentrate shut out the outside world and work on a project at his shop. And I appreciate that. And he introduced me to his wife and his friend that was there, I believe is one of his coworkers and his children. And that meant the absolute world to me that I have an ability to affect people in a positive manner. And when you get to affect somebody in a positive manner, it you have to use that energy, put it in your battery and use that to do even more 
good, positive things. So I got to thinking the other day that it was time for a format change. You know, most of the people that I come in contact with are involved at a professional level in some way, shape, or form in the motorcycle industry. And so we're going to make a format change. Now, this doesn't mean that I'm not going to do long-form conversations with people when I get the opportunity to sit down with somebody like a Billy Lane or sit down with somebody like a Jeff G. Holt or when I get to talk to even my best friends, Cody Childress or TikTok or Nothing Stock Cam. When I get to talk to those people and I have an opportunity to podcast, we're going to do that. And those podcasts are fun. If you go back and listen to the shit show last year that myself, Cody, Daryl Huxel and Nothing Stock Cam did, you can tell that we all love each other, we all care about each other, and we understand the value of quality time over quantity time. None of us live by each other. Cody lives in Abilene, Texas. Daryl Huxel lives in Rochester, Minnesota. Nothing Stock Cam lives in Jacksonville, Florida. I live in Lakeland, Florida. It's three or four hours away from each other. But I talk to each one of those guys at least once a week, two of those guys almost every other day, and one of those guys for a minimum of 20 minutes to an hour every single day. And I said to him this week when I was talking to him, I said, do you realize that the last time that the four of us were in the same place was last June in Texas. The last time three of us were in the same place was at the FXR show in Sturgis. And that is, that's the God's honest truth. And so I got to thinking about, I need to reach out more. So I'm changing the format. And the new format is this. Since I have been in the motorcycle industry for as many years as I have, I'm coming up on my two decade anniversary. I'm going to start talking about the business side of things, not only the business side of things, but I'm gonna talk about things that are important to the business. I'm gonna share with everybody the mistakes that I've made so that when I talk to somebody like Chris Rang, who has a shop in Gillette, Wyoming, when I get to talk to him, I can say, hey man, if this happens, this is what I did. Now, it doesn't mean that Chris has to emulate what I do, but I'm going to make myself available. So when I say I'm not going to be some health self-help guru, what I want to be is available. I want to make myself accessible. I want to prevent somebody from making the same mistake that I made so that they can do a better job. So one of the things that I am very, very against personally in my life is video games. I think they are a colossal waste of time. I think they are a colossal waste of energy. And without getting political, I think they are at the root of the socioeconomic problems that we are having around the globe. I think that we have normalized violence. I think we have normalized degradation towards women. I think that we have made things that are morally and ethic ethically bad. Um, we've made them acceptable in society. I think we have made turned war into a video game. And here's the worst part about video games. Video games have levels. Life has levels. Everybody wants to level up, right? But in a video game, to level up, you have to put in the work. You have to play the video game. In video games, while there is more better than anecdotal information, studies have been done that show that video games are actually not as much of a detriment as what I believe they are physically and psychologically, there are some benefits hand-eye coordination, those types of things. And you can sneak some sort of educational component into anything that you do, and there are video games that do that. So it's akin to when I was a kid, before video games were prevalent, they would say, don't watch TV, TV rots your brain, right? TV is a brain, it's, it's, a, it's a time waster. Uh, if you watch too much of it, right? You should watch the news, watch a show, go to bed. 
Video games have levels. Life has levels. Everybody wants to level up. Video games have cheat codes. And sometimes those cheat codes are shared freely. And it's very hard to tell a kid who makes a million dollars a year, and there's several of them, playing video games on Twitch while other video kids playing video games watch them play video games, which I think is even more of a mind rot than playing a video game. And if you play video games, that's fine. I'm not judging you for it. I put them in the same level of intelligence as being a, 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 a professional wrestling fan. Um, there's, a, there's a determined outcome, right? It, it, there is no, you don't know what's... They know the people who put the put the wrestling match together know who's going to come out on top, and so to pretend that that's a competition to me is folly. It's it's mind numbing, and I won't uh, I won't suffer it for a second. I won't even I won't even talk wrestling with somebody unless I'm, we're going to talk about the reality of it. Yes, they're they're incredible athletes. Yes, they have horrible pain from putting their bodies through amazing. Uh, you know, levels of physical challenge. But at the end of the day, it's performance art. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not into it. But video games have cheat codes. And so there's, life has cheat codes. And so what I am willing to do is to share some of my cheat codes with you. I have experienced many different levels in owning a bike shop. I have gone forward. I have stepped back. I have had multiple locations. I have had multiple locations, multiple times. I have created business plans that are six, seven, eight pages long. I've got, um, I keep very good records. I used to be able to tell you how many work orders we had done to date. I could tell you how many dollars per work order. I could tell you how many tires we sold on average per week and how many brake pads we had sold based on the number of tires on a percentage basis so that I knew by uh, excuse me, July 1st, I could tell you almost within a few thousand dollars of what I was going to end up with as a sales goal or as a sales number, a final sales number, December 31st. And I was pretty accurate because numbers don't lie and you can forecast trends. But you also have to make sure that you're not willing something bad into your future as well. And that's something I'll talk about at a later date. But I'm creating this podcast for guys like Chris Rang from, from, from Rang Cycle in Gillette, Wyoming. Dan Ketchum from Clore Cycle up in Montrose, Michigan. Johnny Humphreys, Johnny99 on Instagram. These are guys that are doing it. These are guys that are putting in work. Now, not all of these guys rely on motorcycles for sustenance, meaning they don't rely, they don't pay their light bill. But you know what they do pay? Their, their quotient for being happy, their quotient for being satisfied, their quotient for accomplishment is fed by the work that they do in the motorcycles, the work they do in the garage, the busted knuckles, the, the empty bank accounts, the tool purchases they make, the home purchases they make are impacted by the motorcycle. If you are passionate about motorcycles to a level that you base your financial budget at home on how much you need to accomplish the project that you're working on because you enjoy the process of accomplishment, then this podcast is going to be for you. Now, I've said many, many times that I am a huge fan of the Fast Life Garage podcast. I love Jace Hudson. He is a very good friend of mine. When he comes to Florida, I always have room for him. He comes and stays at my house with his, with his wife, Britta, last year when they came down for the Wheels of Steel show. But I've always said that Jace entertains, I seek to educate. Now, I realize that, you know, people clown on me because I have a tendency to pontificate at times. I have a tendency to use words that are collegiate level. 
Um, I said to you earlier that I didn't get anything from high school. And what I mean by that was that I didn't have a feeling of accomplishment when I walked across that stage in that goofy outfit and got that silly piece of paper that reminded me that I did what I was supposed to do to fit into a social construct that was set forth in the Victorian era where what we needed in order to facilitate the industrial revolution was a large workforce that was indoctrinated with all of the same information. So what that high school diploma represents to me is different than what it represents to somebody that is an intellectual. There are people that are educators and they, they like to talk about being lifelong learners. Well, I'm here to tell you that I am a lifelong learner. You are a lifelong learner. We learn every single day and we learn going through the process. And for me, that is why the process is so important. The bloody knuckles are so important. Deciding to readjust how you are going to govern yourself at home, what bills are going to be paid in what order, what sacrifices are going to be made so that you can level up is terrifyingly important. The gravity of the situation is important and that's how you level up. Now, if I can be of any help to anyone, I'm available. If you go to my Instagram feed, Speed Metal Built, not the one for this podcast, but the Speed Metal Built, and you click on the contact information, my cell phone is there. Now, I'm hoping that I don't get a million, you know, I don't want, I don't want your, uh, I don't want your dick pics, if you will, but I'm available. And here's why. If you're doing the work, if you're putting in the time, if you're trying to level up and you're doing it in an honest, ethical, fair, and in, in an equitable manner, then I want to have that conversation with you. I want to prevent you from making a bad choice. And the way you do that is by giving people information. Too many people try to bulldog information. Now, I call bulldogging something that you have. You're not using it to its full potential, yet you won't share it. That's not right. To me, that's not right. It would be the same thing as if you saw somebody skating down the road on a skateboard while they're looking at their phone and a car was coming. And because you don't think that people should be on their phone while they're skateboarding, you allow them to get struck by the car. That's not right. And so if you see something, say something, at least to the person who could benefit from the information that you have. So I want to talk about a couple of things real quick. I know I have, I have, I have stood up here and I have talked to you and I have, for all intents and purposes, just absolutely blasted your ear holes with what I had to get out of my mainframe so that I could continue on my day so that I could move forward so that I could level up today and so that I could go to bed accomplished. I want to go back to talking about what I got out of high school. I learned in high school that I could do anything I wanted within reason. And I did that because that's what I wanted to do. And so I found a way to do it. I'll give you a couple of examples. When spring break happened my senior year, my friends, my close friends at school, guys like Chris Stedman, Curtis Defina, um, those guys all saved up their money or got the money from their parents and they went down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for spring break. I stayed home and worked. I had a killer job. In high school, I worked for the original Ram Chargers, the old candy stripe Mopars 
from the 60s and 70s, those were the guys I got a chance to work with. When I was 17 years old, I worked for a man named Dick Skoglund, who was on the original development team for the Chrysler High and Mighty, who single-handedly conceived the Tunnel Ram. I got to work with Sam Messina, who single-handedly conceived and made the first working model of the dual Magneto. And I know this because I was in a room upstairs at Ram Chargers one time for a, for a meeting they were having. And they had pizza, and it was the warehouse, the corporate office, and a retail store. I was very fortunate that that's where I landed at 17. And the opportunity that it afforded me is something that I still use every single day in my job. And along the walls were these little statuettes called Wallies. And there was no less than a hundred of them on a shelf lining the perimeter of the ceiling of this room. And below that were awards from, com from organizations like SEMA and organizations I had never heard of before. And I spent the entire time I was in there, instead of eating, I was just taking it all in and realizing that I was working with people that knew how to level up, that knew how to achieve goals. And in doing so, and in doing so, created a space for a kid like me that was 17 years old to learn from them not only how to set achievable goals, not only how to level up, but I want you to think for one second about being 17 and understanding the gravity of the situation that you're in at that age and being around people that had invented the video game that you were going to base your entire life off of. And so I want to be the person who provides that enlightenment for you. So while I say that I don't want to be a self-help guru, I don't have the answers to everything, but I'm very resourceful, and that's what I learned from high school. I learned how to be resourceful. I learned how to tell somebody I don't have the answer to that, but I know where to find it, and that's what I want for you. I want you to know that if you don't have the answer for something, Two heads are better than one. And together, we can help each other find it. And so I want to be that in this industry. I want to be the guy that when somebody needs help to get something done, and I'm not talking about the simplest things, right? I'm talking about things that people have really been perplexed by. So we've got a couple minutes left, and I want to share something with you. Okay, I have a rule, I have several rules, but one of the rules that I have is that none of my employees, none of the stakeholders in my business, and mind you, I don't really have any statutory employees because I require everybody that works with me to own a business. You have to have an EIN number to get paid by me. And the reason why I do that is because of freedom. I don't want anyone to ever fear falling out of favor with me. I don't want anyone to ever come to work out of fear of losing something. I want everyone that comes to work to me, or with me rather, to feel like they're part of what we're doing in a homogenous, syncopatic rhythm to where when, when I level up, I take them with me. If I'm successful, then the people who work with me are successful too. And that's why I don't bulldog things. I will show almost anyone my P&L. I will show almost anyone a screenshot of my bank account. And trust me, there are times, and we will get into this in a later podcast, where financially, I would be considered broke. And so you're asking yourself, why in the hell would I take business advice or life advice from someone 
who isn't rich, who isn't wealthy, who isn't financially secure? And my answer is this. I have been doing this for 18 years. And there are times where I have to look around and I have to go, you know what? You might not have five zeros in your bank account today or next week, or it may have been six months since you've seen that money. But I get up every single day. I come to my motorcycle shop. The lights are always on. The phone is always ringing. There's always bikes in the service department. And I get to work with a group of professionals that hold themselves accountable to themselves, to their family, to their clients, and their cohorts. And so if you take anything away from this, if you hang around so that you can have, you can listen to the next episode and the next episode that after that and the next episode after that, take this with you. Understand that unequivocally, when someone says they're self-made, nobody does anything by themselves. Nothing substantive occurs without a meaningful relationship. And that is a fact. That is a fact. In the upcoming episodes, we're going to unpack some of that stuff. I'm going to run down what you can expect over the, the course of the next five weeks. The next episode, we're going to cover the 300% rule. This is not my concept. This is something that I learned from somebody. This is something that I have appropriated into my business and that I will help you appropriate it into yours. We're going to talk about the next episode after that. We're going to talk about keeping the vampires out of your castle. Now, when we had the Wheels of Steel meeting or show last December, we had a group of individuals that were professional invited builders. And before the show opened Saturday morning, I asked them all to accompany me into what we called our green room. We set some space aside so that the people that were coming there to work had somewhere to convalesce during the course of the day. And we filled it with snacks and foods and pizzas and booze and, and Gatorades and waters and all these things. But before the day started, we had all of the builders in the room. And there were builders that had been building, building for decades that had worked for people like Eddie Trotta Jesse James. There were people that had been professional musicians. Everybody, when I looked around that room, everybody had a different story of how they got to where they're at. But everybody was trying to get to a similar place. The difference was, is everybody was getting there differently. And one of the things that I wanted to make sure they understood is that because of the change in the guard of the way that media is delivered and delineated out in our industry these days. They needed to, they needed to understand that it was on them to produce. It was on them to make good. It was on them to figure it out, but that we wanted to help. And the one way we're going to do that was to keep the vampires out of the castle. And so that's going to be something that we talk about too, is keeping the vampire out of your castle. We're going to talk about what I call cream liquors. We're going to unpack that. And I'm going to explain what that is. That'll be in the next, that'll be in episode four of the new format. Episode six is going to be my rich dad's story. I'm going to tell you about my rich dad, poor dad theory. And then the sixth episode of the new format is going to be using your ADD as a cannon, a carpet bomb, a shotgun, and a sniper rifle. I want to thank you very much for spending this time with me. I hope you enjoyed the new format. Make sure you go visit my sponsors, please. They make sure that I am here to help you and to talk to you. And as always, please leave reviews. If you've got a question, DM me. I will handle questions. I will take them on. I will answer them for you. I am making myself available. I want to be the person that helps you level up to the next level. I want to see your business, your family, your life be exactly what you want it to be. 
I want you to go to bed every night accomplished. And I want to do the same. Today is July 16th, 2021. Today, my dad would be 70 years old. I want to leave you with that. I want everyone to have a great day, a great work week. And I will see you very, very soon. This has been the Garage Bill Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hallman. Thanks for listening.